Welcome to the City Council Podcast. I'm Paula Viganalan, and today we have an amazing comedian and writer and friend and mutual aid connoisseur, <laughs> Andrea Moore. Hi, I'm the connoisseur. I know. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> it's like oh, such a I, weird. I'm very honored. I've never been called that before. <laughs> I am super excited to have you on the pod for a number of reasons, but also because you participate in mutual aid in LA. You're very involved. You're one of my go-to people when I'm like, oh, somebody messaged me about distributing this thing, or they have a question about this thing, who do I talk to? I'll talk to like Ellery, Dan, you, you know, you're like one of my top contacts for like mutual aid in LA because you work with the the community fridge program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I got involved in the community fridges at the start of the pandemic. And if you're not familiar, it's a network of decentralized independent refrigerators that provide food and supplies to people in need. And they're just on the sidewalk connected to a power source. Our motto is take what you need, leave what you don't. So anyone can come. There's like no one in charge, which is both a blessing and a curse because it means that we all kind of do everything. But yeah, I'm mostly involved in the East Hollywood community fridge. And we celebrated our two-year anniversary in August. That's awesome. So is this, is the fridge program, like, is that basically like a new program that started, that entirely started during the pandemic? Did it start before then? And then you joined and add, helped add the East Hollywood fridge? Yeah, it totally, well, at least in Los Angeles, it started during the pandemic, but we got our like inspiration from New York because they had them first. I don't know how long those were around, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think just during the pandemic, it really highlighted the need and, and exacerbated food insecurity. And people in LA have a lot of like fridges that they just don't need anymore. So all yeah. donated. So they're all donated. And then like you go to outside of a store and you're like, hey, can we plug in here? Right. Like you. Yeah. Ask. Yeah. Yeah. And then if it breaks down, you have to like help fix it and like yep. clean it up and everything. Right. How many people are like helping with one fridge? Oh, I don't know. It also changes at the beginning of the pandemic. There were so many people and then naturally burnout occurred. People come. You know, I've taken long breaks from it people get jobs, people come back. I don't know. I, I feel like I can't give you. Yeah. Also each fridge, it's like a different number of people, but yeah. And then there's often like pantries right next to them, right. That have like non-refrigerated items or like hygienic yeah. items that people mm -hmm. need. Yeah. And I also like another aspect that I really like that you do is you'll buy fruit from some of the local vendors to stock the fridges with, which is really cool because like you're putting the money back into the community. Right. Yeah. I mean, all of the money that I raised, I used to either buy cut up fruit from Victor, who's a street vendor. Very shout out, Victor. Shout out to Victor <laughs> Fernandez at Coco's Fresh Fruits on Venmo. Ooh. Corner of Griffith Park Boulevard and Rowena. And I buy in bulk and I'll send him a text in my really broken Spanish and ask if I can buy a certain number of like tubs of fruit. And then I bring them to the fridge. So I either buy that or I'll buy 
groceries from the grocery store that lets us um, use their power for the fridge. So they're like a small, it's called Santa Monica Grocery. And it's like literally the husband, the wife and the son are the only people who work there. And like the butcher, not sure if he's related, but yeah, um, yeah, it's like none of it's going to Kroger. None of it's going to Kroger. No, <laughs> the mutual aid motto. Well, we have a lot to cover this week, so I'm just going to bust into this trivia game. These are open-ended questions, so your best guess goes for it. So there was a video circulating this week, an interview with Julia Roberts and Gail King, and Julia Roberts described who helped pay for her own like birthing fees at the hospital. Do you know who it was? Oh, it was, was like she. No, but that would be a, that's a great guess. I feel Thank like you. any 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 random donation. I'm like, is it Dolly Parton? <laughs> read this, and I'm not remembering. It was hey, yes, Luther- it was MLK. Yes, it was Martin Luther King's yes. family. Yay! Ding ding ding. Yeah, and I'm gonna play the clip. Just want to take a step back for you, Julia, because you have two historical figures that I'll bet most people don't know this about you. Your brush with. Let's start with the day you were born. Who paid for the hospital bill? Okay, her research is very good. We're professionals. This is a, um, uh, the King family paid for my hospital bill. Not my family. Not your family, but um, Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta. And how did that come about? Well, I mean, did you guys know that about Julia Roberts? That, that's what I said. Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King Jr. Why did they do that? Because um, well, your dad, Walter Roberts. Yes, and obviously because my parents couldn't pay for the hospital bill, um, they my parents had a theater school in Atlanta called the Actors and Writers Workshop. And one day, Coretta Scott King called my mother and asked if her, her kids could be part of the school because they were having a hard time finding um, a place that would accept her kids. And my mom was like, sure, come on over. And so they just all became friends and they helped us out of a jam. Yeah, because in the 60s, you didn't have little black children interacting with little white kids in acting school. Right. And your parents were like, come on in. Yeah. I think that's extraordinary. Yeah. And it sort of lays the groundwork for who you are. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, it was 55 years ago. They paid for her for her birth, which is wild. Who knew they contributed to Pretty Woman like that? The This one's sad. I don't know why I put this in here. Saifullah <laughs> Paracha, who is 75, is the oldest Guantanamo detainee, and he was released after how many years? Oh my God. Well, let's see. Let me do some math in my head. I'm going to say 20 years. Yeah, nearly 20 years. And he was released and, and reunited with his family. Yep. That one's, a, that one's a rough one. These trivia games, sometimes I just do the questions to get through the news fast because I don't want, I can't dwell on it because it makes me sad. But I, I have a question right after you said you didn't want to dwell on it. I have a question about yes. that, what you just said. What, what was the impetus for releasing him? I mean, obviously he like it shouldn't have been there in the first place, but what was it that actually 
Um, like, yeah, you can go after we falsely imprisoned and tortured you for. I guess he was cleared for release in May 2021, and his health had really deteriorated, and he had had two heart attacks. So I'm not sure what the like official reason is, but he was apparently just like a businessman and philanthropist, and he was in Thailand on a business trip, and they like kidnapped him while he was there, and then he was taken to Bagram Air Base and then flown to Guantanamo. Yeah insane i feel like i can't say what i want to say because say it be put on a no i would like be put on a list but like fuck that like i get why people join isis it's like oh yeah they i mean the u.s is like radicalizing people and and like creating terrorist groups because of how much of a terror we are in the world you know like just like kidnapping people and doing this awful shit under the guise of governance so crazy super well, fucked up the good news is that when obama was campaigning he said one of the first things he would do was close guantanamo and he definitely did that and followed through fully on did that for sure um, for sure thank goodness we can all breathe a sigh of relief okay this next news is really cool there's a nigerian scientist named eukarya waichi and she gets called to oil spills to do what what do you think she does? She's a scientist who gets called to oil spills. Um, I don't know. I get uh, like clean up the animals, like rescue, like with like Dawn and partnership with Dawn. <laughs> yeah, she has a she's a Nigerian scientist with a paid partnership. No, she cleans up the oil spill through what's known as bioremediation, where they plant like n- natural vegetation that naturally removes the pollutants, and you don't need to like take the chemicals and dispose of them somewhere. It just like is like it it basically yeah it like eats it up and she's I think in her early 40s and she's gotten all these like amazing awards and is doing an incredible job awards shout out eukarya that's so cool I also like that her name sounds like eukaryote if I I might be pronouncing it wrong but (laughs) the way that it's it's written well little science nerd nerd bit what did Chris Christie tell a panel of women didn't matter in the upcoming midterm election? Wait, what did he tell a group of women? So he was, he's sitting on a panel, right. And they're just talking about like, I think it's an ABC panel and they're just talking about political issues with regards to the midterms. And he said, it's like not an important issue. What do you think he told this panel of women isn't important? Um, Childcare? abortion abortion i thought that it's abortion but then i was like no that's too like there's no fucking way but yeah he literally was like i don't think it matters it isn't important i'll play the clip because you saw those numbers about it's not as important as the economy that it's not an important voting issue it is and chris it is it's number three in the polls and and you've also got 62 percent saying it should be legal in all or most cases how do republicans square that I don't think they square it, and I don't think that it matters. I mean, look, yeah, it's it's the third issue, but it's three and a half times less important than the economy in this race. Yeah, it was insane. Incredible. A bridge-stopping man. Okay. Oh, huh? I, for- I totally forgot about that. He's done so much random shit, but none of it's good. I've never... Oh, 
it's just kind of random. That's kind of his shtick. He really- didn't even he didn't even have like a Rudy Giuliani 9-11 moment. Like I don't like did he? Did he have like a good moment? No, but I think like the terrorists were like New Jersey's like already been through so much trauma. <laughs> like if you live in New Jersey every day is like a 9-11. So oh my god. He just kept out of yeah. So he had his he was separated from that. Yeah. Um Okay, Biden is cracking down on Ticketmaster. How? Oh, um, the fees. Processing fees. I think they said some of them were marked up like an insane, like 70%. Yeah, 73%. That's right. Why is there an impending railroad worker strike? Um, Okay, I support this strike. I know it's impending. I have to assume it's because whoever's in charge is like not paying the workers enough. I don't I don't have a good answer. I have it is answer. it is pay, but it's a lack of paid sick leave for oh. railroad workers, which is like, come on, let them be sick. We've all been sick after this pandemic. Like, what are people thinking yeah. that we can't get paid sick leave? Yeah. OK, that's trivia. I wish there were more. I know. Usually I'll like, I'll have like more and usually I play more videos, but I was like too busy this week. But I also dove deeper into some of the headlines, which we have coming up. Okay. The first headline is about Paul Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi's husband was an, (laughs) it's an icon. A gay icon. A gay icon. (laughs) You think, you think she's his beard? Yeah. I love her. That's kind of amazing. Maybe that's why she's like super into like the arts and poetry and stuff. She's just his beard, you know? She she was reading Bono's poem, Lynn Manuel performed in front oh. of her, you know. <laughs> you said she liked art. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Hamilton is an art to you. <laughs> oh. So Nancy Pelosi's husband was Paul Pelosi was attacked by a home intruder, David DePape, I think. I don't know how to pronounce that. Who's 42 years old. And he was looking for Nancy. He used a hammer as a weapon and he fractured Paul Pelosi's skull. He also had rope and zip ties in his backpack. And he told police he wanted to break Nancy's kneecaps if she, quote, lied and see her, quote, wheeled into Congress because he saw her as the, quote, leader of the pack of lies told by the Democratic Party. And then he told police he didn't flee because he was, quote, he was fighting against tyranny without the option of surrender. While this attack was happening, Paul Pelosi called 911 from a bathroom. He apparently like tried to run to the elevator phone and tried to make a call, but couldn't. And then he ran to the bathroom, dialed 911 from his cell phone. Authorities arrived within eight minutes. When they arrived, they saw the two men fighting over a hammer. FBI asked what's going on. And DePape responded, that everything was good. Like he was just like, we're cool. (laughs) And then, and then he took control of the hammer and that's when he hit Pelosi. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And Pelosi's like 82, I think he's in his eighties. So he, so the attacker has been charged with assault and attempted kidnapping and a number of other offenses. Apparently like if it's related to a political leader, that's like a different crime. Like, yeah. Yeah. The Pelosi's are worth, like 115 million dollars or something they're very rich how do they not have a decent security system i don't know what their security system is i'm not i haven't really a guy with a hammer made it in i don't even know i can't even imagine that much money 
and like I can't either didn't have law well he broke a glass window but yeah that means like no no some of those glass windows like expensive glass is like hard to break like it's like very Andrea how many homes have you broken into (laughs) well I did try to break into my home once because oh my goodness Yes, this is why I know this because I got locked out and I just moved in and I was like, okay, I'll just replace the glass. And I tried to throw a really big brick through my window and it I couldn't do like it didn't even make a dent because it's damn high quality glass. And also like the noise is so loud. So yeah. Well, I feel like I would assume well, it was in the bay, I think. So it is actually a lot more denser but I would like if I think rich people I think they're like they have those shrubs that like prevent people from hearing you know what I mean like that like pushes people away and like whenever I think rich people I think they're like isolated more and they have those big fucking yards that are shrubs because whatever they have (laughs) did not keep this man out yeah maybe get like a a home cam or something so camcorder something so yeah, so the attacker's been charged. Paul Pelosi went through surgery and is currently in, in the intensive care unit. The right has been wild. Here's a video of the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, basically like mocking the attack and telling the crowd that they're going to send Nancy back to him. And the voters are getting ready to stand up again and said, we have had enough, enough of Abigail Spanberger, enough of Joe Biden. And uh, listen, I, I want to stop for a minute and and uh, listen, Speaker Pelosi's husband, uh, they had a break in last night in their house and he was assaulted. There's no room for violence anywhere, but we're going to send her back to be with him in California. That's what we're going to go do. That's what we're going to go do. OK, and then here's Charlie Kirk asking his audience to post bail for Pelosi's attacker I mean, I'm looking at Politico.com, I'm looking at the New York Times, I'm looking at all these places, and there's a little bit of mention here. For example, Politico says top Republicans reject any link between GOP rhetoric and Paul Pelosi assault. Of course you should reject any link. Why is the Republican Party, why is the conservative movement to blame for gay schizophrenic nudists that are hemp jewelry makers breaking into somebody's home or maybe not breaking into somebody's home. Why are we to blame for that exactly? And why is he still in jail? Why has he not been bailed out? By the way, if some if some amazing patriot out there in San Francisco or the Bay Area wants to really be a midterm hero, someone should go and bail this guy out. I bet his bail's like thirty or forty thousand bucks. Bail him out and then go Ask him some questions. I wonder what his bail is. They're going after him with attempted murder, political assassination, all this sort of stuff. I'm not qualifying it. I think it's awful. It's not right. But why is it that in Chicago, you're able to commit murder and be out the next day? Why is it that you're able to trespass, second degree murder, arson, threat of public official, cashless bail. This happens all over San Francisco, but if you go after the Pelosi's, oh, you're let out immediately. Like someone else do that because he has no money. He's like- Charlie Kirk. Yeah. Yeah, what, like, what is he doing now? He's just- I don't know. He like cheats on his wife. He's so ugly. He's married. He's one of the ugliest 
people I've ever seen. His face does not make sense to me. Like the face to head ratio, something's off. Someone who just started, who lied to get the job of the person who draws the composite images of like (laughs) station. Like they were like, yeah, I did this on another police station, but they like actually don't know how to draw. He's like a Disney caricature artist reject. Like, (laughs) yeah, something worse. Yeah. Anyways, and then people, you know, people on the right. So so this man identifies as a Republican, but then other people on the right are just like denying it and trying to deflect responsibility, talking about the security system, talking about how this is what happens when you defund police, even though this happened in California and he could only use a hammer and it's likely that he didn't have a gun with him because it's California. You know, it's like they're deflecting into all sorts of issues just to make it seem like it's not this fucking right wing nut job that's similar to like or reminiscent of like the insurrection. It's fucking wild. He's going to survive it. Hillary Clinton tweeted the Republican Party and its mouthpieces now regularly spread hate and deranged conspiracy theories. It is shocking, but not surprising that violence is the result. As citizens, we must hold them accountable for their words and the actions that follow and then posted a link to an L.A. Times article. And then our Twitter king, Elon Musk, responded in a since-deleted tweet, there's a tiny possibility there might be more to this story than meets the eye, and then linked to the Santa Monica Observer that had an article that claimed that Paul Pelosi was just drunk fighting a male prostitute. And this yeah, is- That's the one that I've seen. I, I've seen, like, the right just claim that the attacker is a gay prostitute lover, and I'm like, Okay, don't make the Pelosi sound cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I just think it's really funny that this guy tried to be a hero and all of his comrades in on the right are like, no, we don't know you. Like they have all these dog whistles of like wanting this to happen. And then when it does, they're like, no, that's a crazy gay person from the left. Like, that's not us. <laughs> This is also the Santa Monica Observer is also the same publication, which in 2016 said that Hillary Clinton had died and was replaced by a body double to debate Trump. So there's credibility there is all I'm saying, you know, even that like it's the right like all of their conspiracy theories make the left look better because like if that were true, it'd be like, oh, that's why Hillary was so horrible in the debates. Yeah, it doesn't make sense logically. Yeah. They should have said that Melania had that body double. (laughs) I'm kind of impressed, to be honest. Like, it's really hard to maybe, yeah, maybe the Pelosi's just, they're pretty old. So maybe they just have the same security system as they've had for like 50 years. Do you think that like, maybe they have body doubles, but in the sense of like, they're getting their organs replaced every seven years in the black market? I think that Nancy Pelosi, like... That would make sense for her tits because she just has like really big tits. But the rest of her looks like it's been melted, like a candle. Like when you're you're like not ready to throw it out and you Wait. like remelt the wax. Kimberly Guilfoyle like came for Nancy Pelosi like before this happened and said something about how she had had work done. And I'm like, did Kimberly Guilfoyle say that? Like Gavin's, <laughs> Gavin Newsom's ex and Don Jr.'s whatever. Like she, she Oh, yeah. Are they? I don't know. But I, I, it's so hard for me to keep up with, with Kimberly Guilfoyle. Yeah. I know I wasn't going to say anything, but you've really been. I know my bad. 
did you used to Photoshop Nancy Pelosi's boobs or something? You, was no, it you? someone did that, though. I know what you're talking about. I forget who it was. I was like, is that Andrea? Okay, speaking of Elon Musk, we hate him. He took over Twitter. He immediately posted a horrible joke where he carried a fucking sink into Twitter and was like, let that sink in. He finished this $44 billion takeover. He's worth $223.2 billion. He fired a bunch of people as soon as he took over, including Twitter's board of directors, including the chief exec, Parag Agarwal, CFO, Ned Siegel, and then Vijaya Gadi. There was like uproar about Vijaya's firing because she was like general counsel and head of legal policy and trust. And I apparently did some good things. I don't know the the details of it. But now Musk is sole director of Twitter. He also hinted at like not paying them severance, which is whatever. They're all rich. I also hate him. So I don't really care about that. And then a different SEC filing showed that Saudi Prince Al-Walid bin Talal is the second largest shareholder in Twitter now. So this is wonderful. Saudis like being shareholders of these failing companies like don't they own uber now basically they like jump in when these companies start to go bankrupt and then i mean profit from it they own oil which is also on its way out so like physically (laughs) i mean it's running out like it's not it's a it's a limited resource technically so much price gouging that there that everyone has seen record profit so yeah 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 like the fact that it's less plentiful is almost like makes makes it more lucrative god damn it i don't know i guess they they just have fuck around money you know i guess yeah it's also wild to me when like celebrities get in relationships with like saudi princes i'm like how is this gonna go well like also like what about them like like how are they I, I feel like I'm turning into an incel I'm like what about the Saudi prince what do they have that I don't <laughs> I mean, you didn't 9-11 that's that's what you don't have going for you darn that's a con that a lot of men have written down when oh, deciding whether to break up with me <laughs> well something to work on maybe I don't know yeah okay so Elon's statement I'm gonna read it really quick a little bit long. So he said, dear Twitter advertisers, I wanted to reach out personally to share my motivation in acquiring Twitter. There has been much speculation about why I bought Twitter and what I think about advertising. Most of it has been wrong. The reason I acquired Twitter is because it is important to the future of civilization to have a common digital town square where a wide range of beliefs can be debated in a healthy manner without resorting to violence. There is currently great danger that social media will splinter into far right wing and far left wing echo chambers that generate more hate and divide in our society. In the relentless pursuit of clicks, much of traditional media has been fueled and catered to these polarized extremes as they believe that is what brings in the money. But in doing so, the opportunity for dialogue is lost. That is why I bought Twitter. I didn't do it because it would be easy. I didn't do it to make more money. I did it to try to help humanity whom I love. And I do so with humility, recognizing that failure in pursuing this goal despite our best efforts is a very real possibility. That said, Twitter obviously cannot become a free-for-all hellscape where anything can be said with no consequences. In addition to adhering to the laws of the land, our platform must be warm and welcoming to all, where you can choose your desired experience according to your preferences, just as you can choose, for example, to see movies or play video games ranging from all ages to mature. 
I also very much believe that advertising when done right can delight, entertain, and inform you. It can show you a service or product or medical treatment that you never knew existed, but is right for you. For this to be true, it is essential to show Twitter users advertising that is as relevant as possible to their needs. Low relevancy ads are spam, but highly relevant ads are actually content. Fundamentally, Twitter aspires to be the most respected advertising platform in the world that strengthens your brand and grows your enterprise. To everyone who has partnered with us, I thank you. Let us build something extraordinary together. And then as soon as he took over, the N-word went up 500% on Twitter, <laughs> according to like some study. So incredible, incredible work just by being there. Any yeah. comments? <laughs> I mean, none of it is true. Like he made a, an overpriced offer on Twitter. And then because he signed a contract, he was put on the hook. So then when he tried to back out, Twitter's tried to sue him so that he would have to complete the buyout at this insane price and now he's in like stuck in this deal and advertisers are already leaving also it's like not good for advertisers to be next to the n-word so yeah his he's just he's a fucking idiot he's a child of apartheid i hate him he's so dumb and so many people have said this ellery has said this mohanad said this but he's trying so hard to be funny and he just can't do you have any comedy tips for elon as a comedian do you have any yeah kill yourself (laughs) like that would be really funny that if you want to be funny elon musk kill yourself i think a lot of people would laugh like that's the antidote incredible and that's why andrea came on the pod (laughs) i have good advice for him yeah. I also feel like if you're not funny, that's okay. Just yeah. You know, I mean, didn't he offer to like? I don't. I don't know if it was an offer or like a promise or whatever. But he was like, I could solve world hunger with six billion dollars and the Flint water crisis. Like, but instead, he fucking bought Twitter and made it worse because he's his all about ego and doesn't fucking help people. Like, you don't have to be funny. People will love you if you do good things. You know, Colin like has a hairball so if you hear like a coal miner oh is he unionized he was he is on (laughs) severance oh my god he's so cute i love him so much i love him so much too look at his face so soulful yeah oh my god i love dogs so and this isn't Elon's doing. This is like the developers of Tesla, I'm sure. But my mom has a Tesla, and one of the features I really do like on it is that it has a dog setting where you can leave your car and it'll set the AC to like an acceptable range for the dog. And there's a thing that comes on the dashboard that's like, don't worry, like my parents will be back soon. The car is set. Oh, wow. And so you don't have to worry about leaving your car on. It just like. I feel like I wouldn't trust it. I feel like I'd, <laughs> I feel I like know, I would. Oscar is fine. He hasn't died yet. I'm sure. I'm sure it's been fine so far, but I feel like I would in my mind think I would come back and the car had like choked my dog or something like some malfunction. Yeah, that, like an unforeseen software issue. That... Yeah. runs over children and chokes dogs. Okay. This next story is interesting. I kind of did a little bit deeper of a dive on it because I hadn't heard much about it. There are two Supreme Court cases being heard this week regarding affirmative action. 
and they are the Students for Fair Admissions, SFFA, versus Harvard, and Students for Fair Admissions versus University of North Carolina. In 2016, that was the last time the Supreme Court heard an affirmative action case, and that case resulted in the court saying that we can't fill exact quotas, but you can take race in as a contextualizing factor when doing admissions. But in these cases, the SFFA, the Students for Fair Admissions, is arguing that racial classifications themselves actually, quote, increase racial consciousness and, quote, cause resentment by treating people differently based on something they can't change. The SFFA is run by a conservative failed politician named Edward Bloom. He is trying to spin it like that affirmative action is actually hurting Asian American students, which according to a district judge and the Court of Appeals, that's not true. That's false information. Hassan Minaj actually did a Patriot Act episode four years ago about this topic and like was really trying to appeal to Asian Americans and tell them to not fall for this white supremacist bullshit because it really pits like Asian Americans against Black and Latino students, like this tactic that they're trying. But there, today, there were actually Asian American protesters outside the Supreme Court in support of affirmative action, like saying that they weren't going to fall for this. Justice Katanji Brown Jackson during the hearing said it would be really weird if admissions officers could consider factors like if applicants are parents, veterans, or disabled, but not if they were part of racial minorities. She said that that has, quote, the potential of causing more of an equal protection problem than it's actually solving. And then we get to our conservative justices. During the case, Samuel Alito kept asking what the term underrepresented minority actually meant. He described college as a zero-sum game. Amy Coney Barrett kept asking about what potential, quote, endpoint there would be. Clarence Thomas, we love, we love Clarence Thomas and his wife, Jenny, couple goals. He said, quote, I've heard the word diversity quite a few times, and I don't have a clue what it means. Yeah, Clarence Thomas, we know that you have no idea what that means. You are working against all of it. But what's interesting is that people are worried about affirmative action, but people are, especially on Twitter, are now bringing up this report from 2019 from the National Bureau of Economic Resources that describes how like 43% of white students admitted to Harvard were often I think between 2009 and 2014 or something, I can't remember, but we're often legacy students, like they're either recruited mm -hmm. athletes, they yeah. were legacies, they were applicants on the dean's interest lists, which are children of wealthy donors, and they're children of faculty and staff. Yeah. And then more than 75% of that 43 would have been rejected if it wasn't for that status. So the acceptance rate at Harvard for legacy students is like a third compared to Harvard, Harvard's overall acceptance rate of 6%, you know, so it's like 33% compared to 6%. At Princeton, legacy students are admitted nearly four times the rate as regular applicants. And it mostly benefits wealthy white students, right, who already have all these other advantages of being wealthy and being white and having these connections already. What's like an additional layer is that a lot of studies show that white students who go to mid-range or like state schools do better like succeed more than minority students who graduate from like really like high-end elite schools. So it's like that already in and of itself shows the advantage that white students have that needs to be like counteracted. And during the case, they both 
both sides talked about Brown versus Board of Education and like segregation with regards to school. But that is the the cases that are being heard right now. It's not looking good because of the composition of the court. Yeah, I don't know if this is interesting or not, but I read an article once about diversity quotas and it was talking about how like in the case of colleges who have quotas for black and brown students, it's disproportionately upper middle class or wealthy students of color. So Mm. there's a huge swath of poor black and brown students who just are not represented in that quota. So even within that tiny quota of like Harvard saying we need 9% black students, there's a disproportionate number of those students are from the upper class. Yeah. So poor students of color aren't benefiting from any of it. And like, yeah. so I guess what I'm saying is like, I think there should be more quotas. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there should be, there should be more stipulations that allow for capitalism to not just like win over everything. <laughs> yeah, right? It's not like a one size fits all, like, you know, cause then you just have people competing for these like, you know, really small slots. Like, yeah, yeah two slots and someone comes from money and someone doesn't it's you're gonna go to the person who's from money or like knows the people who are from money or in that in those circles yeah yeah for sure yeah man this supreme court is like on one they're fucking they have too much power right now i don't know they've had too much power it's a lifetime appointment what imagine if you like why no job should have a lifetime appointment you got it. You should at least get like we still have to get retested to drive every few. You yeah, know, yeah, that's we, a really good point. We have to renew our license and shit. We have to, you know, renew our passports at yeah. least. You know, I don't know. I feel like yeah, the lifetime appointments are insane, especially considering like we're now getting more aware of like dementia. Like, how wow. is that gonna factor in? I don't know. I mean, and also like with people changing and demographics changing, like these conservative oh, justices, as indicated by Dobbs, do not fucking reflect the will of the people. And the population, like you have nine justices that support, I don't know what the American population is, but it's like, why hasn't that number gone up? Yeah, I have no idea. So I think this episode's gonna, they're gonna listen to this for sure. Yeah, <laughs> we're helping. We are helping. I do like that the conservatives are like, yeah, let's do that thing that was pointed out in Get Out where we make the Asian people be on our side until shit hits the fan. You know, like there is no way that they're going to see past that or through it. I, like, I, I just I think know, I'm like thinking about what just happened in the UK with their prime minister. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I don't know. Actually. For sure. They're like token representation tokenized people who like sell out their own demographic for to act as though like their representation matters and that and like to fulfill this like white supremacist ideal there's for sure that but like like in the U.S. for example there are a lot of like Indians who are like tokenized in the Republican Party and are like the forefront of it Bobby Jindal and fucking Nikki Haley and like all of these other like what is it Ajith Pai like all of these fucking horrible 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 people but most people most Indian Americans are Democrats and donate more to the Democratic Party so it's like like the people will like hopefully see through it you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. 
It might be like those like wealthy people who are already like really closely allied to white supremacy that mm-hmm. won't and will try to work in its service. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely something to pay attention to. I feel like people don't normally like pay attention to Supreme Court cases, but it's becoming like juicier as time. I'm like, there's more shit that's happening. And I feel like they're like, like not enough people like are aware of what's going on or how it'll affect our daily lives. I don't know. But some good news for leftists, the Brazil presidential election, Lula won over Bolsonaro. Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, also known as Lula, is left-wing. He's a trade unionist. He's a formal metal worker. He's a member of the Workers' Party. He was previously president of Brazil from 2003 to 2010, and then shit got wild. In 2014, Operation Car Wash began, where Brazil found Lula guilty of corruption and peddling and all these charges, and they raided his home. And some people tried to shield Lula, but he was found guilty and sentenced to nine and a half years in prison. And in 2018, he turned himself in. He turned himself in like a day late. And he said that there was like bias in the media and with the judges and everyone trying to like imprison him. But I'm going to play this clip of him talking about why he needed to turn himself in so that they couldn't like, you know, try to string him up on like further corruption charges or whatever, or say that he wasn't or like, you know, use him against the movement, basically. (laughs) Vou atender o mandato deles. E vou atender. E vou atender porque eu quero fazer a transferência de responsabilidade. Eles acham que tudo que acontece nesse país acontece por minha causa. E porque eu vou de cabeça erguida e vou sair de pente estufado de lá so this speech was to the workers party which is a leftist party he said i'm going to attend the mandate so they won't say tomorrow that I am a fugitive and that I am hiding myself. I'm going to let them know that I'm not afraid and that I'm going to prove my innocence. And he said, because I stand out with head up and chest out because I'm going to prove my innocence. Thank you very much for what you have done. So you have helped me. I want to give you a kiss. Thank you very much. And then also in the rest of the speech, he talked about how the only crime he committed was fighting for poverty reduction in Brazil and trying to offer university education to the poor youth there and trying to improve the living conditions of Brazilians. And he said, in his opinion, the rich do not forgive him for this. So then the free Lula movement began. And in June 2019, The Intercept published a leaked telegram showing that the lead prosecutor of this Operation Car Wash, Delton Dalignol, and the judge, Sergio Moro, had conspired together to convict Lula to prevent him from being a candidate in the 2018 election, which he had previously said he had wanted to, you know, be a candidate for. So he was considered a political prisoner by foreign officials at that point, including Bernie Sanders, who called for his release. 
And then in November of 2019, after 580 days in prison, he was released. And in other places later in November, his sentences were increased. But eventually in 2021, the Supreme Federal Court just annulled all the convictions against him. And then Brazil had to answer to the UN on four accounts of misconduct, including coercive conduct against Lula in 2016, leaking of confidential data to the press, leaking of illegally obtained phone conversation recordings to the press, and an abusive strategy of temporary and preemptive imprisonments to obtain plea bargaining deals implicating this former president, Lula. But just recently, Lula won after being released from prison, running against Bolsonaro, who is king at getting COVID and burning down the Amazon and just being this like right-wing extremist. And so that's something to celebrate. He's like, you know, this socialist left leader winning in Brazil. Yeah, it's amazing. I love Lula so much. He launched this program I think in like the early 2000s, it was like a hunger eradication program called Fome Zero, and it made like a drastic decrease in the hunger rates in Brazil. I think it was like the biggest decrease in inequality in Brazil's history. And it just, it was like direct aid to families, planned farming, like issuing microcredit loans and it worked like and so people love him and I it's really refreshing to not see Biden and like you know neoliberals support a coup which is like kind of our MO like it's when this wins in Latin America we usually do like the heart attack gun so it's nice that the CIA is in its um it's flop era right now. <laughs> the CIA is in its flop era. Bad, yeah. bad vibes, CIA. Yeah, it's just super exciting. Bolsonaro really fucking sucks. He's kind of been quiet for a while. I saw something on Twitter that said he and his wife had unfollowed each other, but I don't know if that's real. Yeah, um, I saw that too. I mean, it kind of reminds me of when Trump and Melania like stopped being seen together once he left the White House. Oh, yeah. I didn't even notice that. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that like Bolsonaro, because Bolsonaro was like preparing to say that like the election was like rigged or whatever before the election, but I haven't heard much from him either. So like, I'm hoping he just fucking leaves it alone and like allows Lula to take over peacefully. But who knows? I mean, if they try to have a coup, no one's going to support it. Like it'll just yeah. Be- sad because it's like no one's on and I haven't seen anything from Bolsonaro about like even saying it was rigged like his yeah I haven't either want to say that but he's just like wallowing in his room he's like the only Brazil president who didn't get reelected after running right that's like yeah fucking dope suck it suck it Bolsonaro Okay, this is a quick, quick mention. There was a story, which I think you'll have good input in because it has to do with unhoused people in LA. There was a story by the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, the ACCE Institute, on the number of unhoused units and unhoused people in LA. It was called The Vacancy Report, How Los Angeles Leaves Homes Empty and People Unhoused. It reported that there were more than 36,000 unhoused residents. I had been under the impression that we're like, 66,000 unhoused residents. I I don't want to mess it up. I'm like worried about throwing out a figure that isn't right. 
But I know that sometimes, like, the, the number of unhoused people in the county versus the city. Oh, that might be it. Okay. So I'm not sure. But I imagine it would be a lot more than just 30,000 because yeah, is huge. But they said that there is more than 36,000 unhoused residents in this report, while simultaneously L.A. has over 93,000 units sitting vacant. So significantly more vacant units than unhoused people. One of the main uh, takeaways from the article was that we're building homes, but they're only for rich people. And that nearly 67% of all residential units in the city are directly owned by investment entities. For example, 97% of rental units that are currently under construction in downtown LA are classified by this commercial real estate service, CoStar, as like four and five star, like very luxury apartments where the rents are over. $2,800 per unit per month. And that trickle down does not fucking work. Like buying or buying or building luxury apartments does not allow for, you know, those apartments to trickle down to, or housing to trickle down to people who are unhoused. Like they just will not be housed. Newer buildings are consistently more vacant than older buildings. High rent units have higher vacancy rates at every affordability level. So this article is also like pushing for a vacancy tax as has been instituted in other cities and more affordable housing and just like advocating for a need for more data on vacancy in general because we don't like have enough. I've seen this like trickle down thing online where people are like trying to push for it. It's like that never fucking worked with economics. How is it going to work with housing? Yeah, it doesn't work. I also don't understand why we can't implement a vacancy tax because it literally won't affect, it, it just seems so logical to me. I'm at a loss for words. It's like, if a unit is sitting vacant, of course the owner of the unit should have to pay a shit ton of money and that money should go towards homeless services. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, it's like you're literally like the reason for people being unhoused. So like, house them? And if you can afford to have a unit be vacant, then you can afford yes. the taxes. Exactly. Um, yes, yeah, I will say both mayoral candidates, Karen Bass and Rick Russo, do not support changing zoning laws to make it so that we can build higher density housing in single neighborhoods that are primarily single family homes. So like, you know, Boo. apartments in Sautel or like every other civilized country has this but for some reason we're obsessed with the idea of like suburbia and having microcosms of suburbia within los angeles which is insane because we're urban we're not suburban i know get over it we live in a city losers (laughs) we live in a fucking city that's like the new joker we're gonna get him radicalized we're gonna be like but we live in a city (laughs) yeah we live in a fucking city yeah okay well those are the headlines and then now we do the mutual aid babe of the week and that's why i'm having you on our mutual aid babe of the week is the fridge program so can you tell us where to donate where to help out yeah wow so much so much to say well there's nowhere to donate it's really just like buying food or donating food saving food that would be headed for the trash and intercepting it and bringing it to your local community fridge there is a website i'm trying to pull it up it's always been in the bio on my instagram but it's a map of los angeles and you can zoom in on it and it'll show you where all of the fridges are oh okay community-fridge.bubbleapps.io 
it'll like have these little geotags. You can click on them. I just clicked on the class cell park fridge and it'll tell you what it needs, where it's located and when the last check-in was. So yeah, if you work at a restaurant, a market, you know anyone who is like a bus boy, they have food that is headed for the trash, you want to drop it off, that would be awesome. And people always need stuff. And they do this in different cities. Like you guys were influenced by New York. I know there are some in Colorado uh, or like in Denver. So like if you are in a different city and you're listening to this, look up and see if your community has a community fridge program. And if it doesn't, maybe you could help start one. And I'll also say like, if you don't have resources to donate food or you don't have that much time, but you want to help out every once in a while, we always need people to clean the fridges. A lot of trash gets left. It's, you know, it gets a lot of use, which is good, but that means that we're like constantly trying to keep things clean. So if you are ever driving past the community fridge and you see a bunch of cardboard boxes, for example, that someone who is well-intentioned, like dropped off a bunch of produce and then didn't take away their boxes, that really helps us and helps the owners or management of whoever's letting us host the fridge. Yeah. Do what you can. Great. And do you have any shows coming up or anything we can look out for or like where we can Um, find you? Well, election day is on the 8th. That's not a show, but I just am looking at the things, the little dots on my calendar. I'm doing Richard Cervate's show on November 13th at 530. I don't know where it is because I had a typo when (laughs) it says Ta show. I think it's in Culver City. But I don't know, I would just tell everyone to vote for city council in particular, no pun intended, if you live in Los Angeles, vote for Hugo Soto Martinez um, or Aaron Darling, if you're in Venice, Faisal Gill for city attorney. And I don't know, there's whole, there's voter guides. I did. And my last episode was a full voter guide episode. So they know to, to click back if they need to figure it out and your, your social media so they can eventually find your show. Oh yeah. One day, once I get it together. Um, my handle on all social media is a more underscore or less. Oh, I like it. It's great. <laughs> thank thank you, you so much for being here and meeting meeting adjourned. <laughs> wow. That's how we end. Your gavel. I know. It's in my it's in my logo. <laughs> we, need to, we need to get you a 3D gavel. Oh, that would be fun. This episode of the City Council Podcast was written, created, and produced by Paula Viganalan. That's me. The music was written and produced by Ruby Ibarra. Be sure to follow us at City Council, spelled S-E-L, show on Instagram and Twitter for more weekly podcasts and live stand-up comedy shows. To support the show and for exclusive bonus content, please join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash city council show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.